Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to 1 Samuel. Did you just take my Bible, Brother Tim? I'll take that from you. That's all right. That's all right. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'll take that from you. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. 1 Samuel chapter number 7 tonight. And I do trust that you've had a great week this week thus far. And uh, it's been a great weather week after what we had last weekend. And it's been nice to kind of enjoy some warmer weather and enjoy it while it lasts because this weekend it's going to change all over again and get cold. But uh, just been a great week thus far and uh, hope that you've had a great week as well. Uh, God has allowed us to see some awesome things the last several days uh, in the academy and all of the things moving forward. I drove by this afternoon. They were delivering steel uh, for the walls today and dropping that off and uh, working on getting some plumbing things taken care of. And uh, we asked you to pray this past weekend for a prayer request on uh, the plumbing. Our plumbing permit was kind of on hold in limbo because of uh, some meter issues that they had at the building. And all of that got resolved this morning. So we're thankful for that. And uh, God just keeps answering prayer. And uh, I'll let Miss Vanessa share some stuff on Sunday uh, regarding the uh, enrollment and different things. We'll start enrollment for our church family this coming Sunday morning. Uh, after the service, and so if you are interested, and in the entire team that has been hired thus far for Augusta Christian Academy will be here this uh, Sunday morning, and to answer questions for you, and you'll get to kind of put faces with names and that kind of thing, uh, but just been encouraging to see what God has done and what He's continued doing, uh, just as evidence and validation that He is blessing this project. So we're very thankful for that, and uh, just uh, just been awesome. So we're looking forward to what. The Lord has in store. First Samuel chapter 7, and uh, we pick back up after several weeks with the holidays being off uh, from this series. Pick back up in chapter number 7 of 1 Samuel. When we last left this book, uh, remember we saw the ark had been delivered back to the Israelites from the Philistines. and uh, It had gone to multiple cities causing problems all along the way. And remember when it got back to the Israelites, the men who opened the ark of the covenant disobeyed God's command, touched the ark, opened the lid. And the Bible says that God killed many men because of their disobedience. And even though they thought they were doing a good thing, God had very specific commands on what not to do when it came to the ark. And it causes us to remember, it's in your notes, uh, this very simple phrase that goes like this. It's never right to do wrong, and it's never wrong to do right. It's never right to do wrong, and it's never wrong to do right. Because you think about our lives today, they tried to justify their decision. We talked several weeks ago about the fact that you know they could have thought, well, you know, the Philistines, they had the Ark of the Covenant, and uh, maybe they stole something out of it. We need to make sure that everything's intact. But if God could protect the Ark, He was well capable of protecting the contents of the Ark. Uh, so brought it back to them. And so we see now on the map, and it's on the back of your handout tonight, and it'll be on the screen for you as well. Uh, when we see where they are, uh, we're looking in chapter number 7, we're looking at Kerjeth Jerem, which is close to the middle of the screen, close to the middle of the map. 
And now the ark is sitting there at a man's house named Abinadab. And that's where we pick up our text. And we'll look at the map several times tonight, and that's why it's included in your handout. Uh, but they reached out to the men of Kirjath-Jerim to kind of help them, uh, to kind of come and get the ark for them. They brought it and dropped it off at a man's house, and we'll see that in chapter 7 and verse Number one, and if you're writing notes on your handout, you can write down number one, the condition, the condition that's there. The men of Kirjath-Jerim come, they bring the ark closer back to Jerusalem where it would eventually end up, but it's going to take an entire book of the Bible to get there and uh, two different leaders to get to that point. But look at verse number one of chapter seven. It says, and the men of Kirjath-Jerim came fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass while the ark abode at Kirjath-Jerim that the time was long, for it was twenty years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods of Ashtaroth from among you. And prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. And look at verse 4. Then the, then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth and serve the Lord only. Now, you might think that's not a big deal. But as we unfold this chapter and in this very, very first few verses, this is a major development when it talks about the condition. The ark ends up at the house of a man named Abinadab. We don't know much about him. Uh, some commentators believe that he could have been a priest, but the title's not attached, so some doubt that. Uh, most people believe that Abinadab was just a random leader in the community, and he was a spiritual man. His house, his family, his sons were all spiritual leaders. And we see that the ark stays at his house until 2 Samuel chapter 6, when King David sends for the ark, goes himself with a group of people, thousands of people, to return the ark from their house, Abinadab's home, all the way back to Jerusalem. Abinadab, his, uh, even though his family is spiritual, it's interesting that Abinadab's son is the man who is killed for trying to put his hand up and touching the ark. You remember Uzzah. Uzzah was struck by the Lord and was killed by God for touching the Ark of the Covenant. That is the son of Abinadab, this man who housed the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark was a part of their life for years. And during this 20-year period of time, God's blessing was on his house because of the Ark. And remember, we talked about last time the fact that the Ark represents God's presence. And people notice when God's presence is on our homes as well. People see the difference when we honor the Lord and we put Him first and we prioritize Him. People can tell that there's something different about our home. Now during this time period when the ark is at Abinadab's house, the people are still going on just like they had been. Uh, this, this time period, it says in verse number 2, it was there for 20 years. 20 years of the ark being back in Israel, but no change in the people's hearts. They were still following false gods. They had gotten used to worshiping false idols. We see that that started in Judges chapter number 2 and verse 12. 
It says, and they forsook, talking about the children of Israel, after they'd gone into the promised land, God had blessed, they'd seen all these things. Joshua dies, that entire generation of leadership dies. There arises a generation that doesn't know the Lord, that had forgotten or hadn't heard about all the blessings that God had done in Egypt. And in verse number 12, it says, They forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them, bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord, and here it is, and they served Baal and Ashtaroth. These two primary gods were their two idols that they served. This wasn't something, when we get to 1 Samuel chapter number 7, this wasn't something that they had just been doing for a few months. This was something that had been going on for years. We're talking about years, generation after generation of people who worshipped these false idols. And it was a serious problem that was uncorrected. But here was the bigger issue. It wasn't that they completely forsook the Lord and followed idols wholly, they added the idols on top of what they were doing with the Lord. Say, Pastor, why is, what's, what's the big deal? Because isn't that like us today? We come to the Lord on Sunday, we honor Him on Sunday, we come to church and we honor Him, we worship Him, we sing the songs, we fellowship with other believers, but Monday through Saturday, we live for us. We live for us. And we serve other things, whether it's a career or whether it's a uh, family decision or whatever it is. Our schedule, our family, our friends, our job, our pursuit is everything but the Lord. And we have done exactly what the people were doing here in 1 Samuel chapter 7. They were serving the Lord, yes, but they are also serving idols. At the same time, remember Jesus came along and in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, no man can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll hold the one, despise the other. So he said, you got to choose. Remember Joshua, in Joshua chapter 24, at the end of his life, he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But choose, choose. The people chose poorly. And we see that the decision changes in chapter 7 in verse number Two, look at it again. It says, It was 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. How did they break the cycle? Remember the cycle of the judges, how that uh, they would have a time of peace and prosperity, and they would neglect the Lord, and they would turn away from Him, and God would send another nation to come in and oppress them, and uh, they would go through hardships and troubles, and they would cry out to God. They would beg God to do something, and God would send a deliverer, and uh, they would be delivered, and everything would be great, and then the cycle would repeat all over again. Over and over, this happened. And it says that they were in this pattern here. And it says they lamented after the Lord. They realized that something was off. They recognized that they had walked away from the Lord. How did they know that? Because God's presence was on display. They saw God's presence. Say, How did they see that? They saw the blessing of God on Abinadab. Remember, 20 years, they watched God bless his house. They watched God bless his family and said, why doesn't God bless us like that? Uh, Why doesn't God take care of our family like that? 
What was it? They were honoring the Lord, Abinadab and his family, and the rest of the people weren't. They weren't. So what does it cause? It causes them to realize where they are. And isn't that what church is supposed to be about? When we come into this place and we come into God's presence and we see the blessings of a holy God on the lives of others and say, man, why doesn't God bless me that way? Why isn't God speaking to me that way? Why isn't God working in my life, in my job, and my family that way? And could it be that the people that we see God working in their lives, they're staying in God's presence and we've walked away from God's presence? You think about all of the things that God has done in our church, and we're thankful for that. But let's not forget where those blessings came from. Those are not our blessings. Those are the Lord's blessings. And those are His blessings because of people who have chosen to honor Him in their decision making. And I don't know who's uh, singing. Uh, sounds good. Uh, but anyway, uh, something's singing. Uh, we see it says in verse number 3 and 4, it says, And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto... Is that my phone? It is my wife's bag. There you go. All right. Praise the Lord. All right. Thank you, Brother John. And uh, we'll talk about that when we get home tonight. Uh, But look at verse 3. What was the turning point? What did Samuel say in verse 3? Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts. With all your hearts. Remember, they had gone through 20 years and then years before that of split decision. Of We're going to serve the Lord today and then we're going to go to Baal's temple and we're going to go to uh, Ashtaroth's temple and we're going to serve all these different things. And Samuel says, let's just get back down to what's real. Let's get back to the simplicity of worship. Choose. Choose. Serve the Lord with all. Love the Lord with all your hearts. All your hearts. And does he have all your heart? Remember Jesus said in Mark chapter 12 verse 30, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, all thy strength. This is the first priority, first commandment. A part of the message this coming Sunday will be a time of decision where we say it's time. Are we choosing to serve him? Have we counted the cost? Are we serving the Lord or are we serving ourselves? Choose. This is the greatest thing that we can do in 2023 is to shift our priorities to where the Lord is first. First. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Matthew 6, 33. First. Supremely, more than anything else. That means that he's first in my weekly schedule. That means that he's first in my daily practice. He's on my mind when I get up in the morning. He's the last thing I think of when I go to bed at night. He's first, but is he first for us? Is he first? It wasn't just hearing what they needed. They knew what they needed. They lamented after the Lord. But look at their response. Look at verse 6. And they gathered together to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out unto the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. Did you know that repentance begins with admission? Repentance begins with admission. When I admit 
that I am the problem. That's how salvation begins, by the way. When I admit that I'm a sinner. Because if I'm not a sinner, why do I need a Savior? We start with admission. Repentance begins with admission. And what do these people do? Samuel says, if you're going to follow the Lord, you have to love Him with all your heart. You have to turn from these other false gods. And they admitted, we're the problem. It would have been easy for them to say, you know what? You know, we had some bad leadership. You know, we had some bad leaders that led us astray. Uh, You know, uh, my family wasn't godly, Samuel, so it's my family's fault. You know, my coworkers, they don't point me to the... No, no. They said, we have sinned against the Lord. It's our fault. And this was the first sign that Samuel was the spiritual leader of these people. Because he pointed them together to the Lord. The very first time it says, And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. He was the last judge before the first king. And they needed a spiritual leader. And we are no different today. Now I understand that I'm the pastor. But this also bears repeating. We need a spiritual advisor, every single one of us, that can speak truth into our hearts But that spiritual leader can't speak out of both sides of his mouth. I can't expect you to read your Bible if I'm not going to read mine. I can't expect you to or ask you even to pray if I'm not going to pray. I can't expect you or ask you to tell other people about Christ if I'm not doing it. We have to be consistent. And our hearts need a shepherd, every single one of us. But a shepherd that knows that they're not the chief shepherd. I'm not, I'm not, my name might be on the sign, but when you die one day, you're not going to stand before me. You stand before the Lord. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul said, Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Paul gave them permission and said, If I'm following Christ, follow me. If I'm not following Christ, don't follow me. Uh, Paul, I believe, in Hebrews chapter 13 said, Remember them which have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God. And then he said, whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation. Somebody is going to stand and give an account as a spiritual leader over your life. Acknowledge that. And that's not saying, hey, I want more candy next year for Christmas. Please, no. Uh, That is saying, let's do this thing biblically. And let's follow our chief shepherd as the leader leads the way, and be consistent. Uh, The godly influences we have in our lives have to be led by those people themselves. And they have to follow the Lord. Uh, You know, I understand that it's an honor for this role. I'm not begrudging the role. It's an honor, but not everybody is called to do this. I get that. I understand that. And Samuel is called by the Lord, and he faithfully fills his role. Now, I'm thankful for that, but It also is a great reminder that the people were where they needed to be as well. And I'm thankful that we have a church family that's where they need to be. And they strive, and you guys strive to follow the Lord in your personal life and in your devotions and in your family. It's an honor to serve alongside your family in that regard. So we see that the people were where they needed to be, but here comes the opposition. Not only do we see Number one, the condition, we see the cries. Number two, look at verse number seven. And when the Philistines heard 
Now, I want you to take note of the different times that we see the word heard. H-E-A-R-D. Look at verse 7. When the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. When the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said unto Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a burnt offering, holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. Over and over, the people, uh, the Philistines heard, the people heard, but the Lord heard. Over and over, we see the people were in a place called Mizpah. If you look back at your map, you see kind of the location of where they are. And what's interesting is that the people were here, Mizpah, over on the right-hand side of your screen. They're away from the ark. Samuel gathered them together in this place by themselves. They're right where they need to be. They're in the spiritual state that they need to be in. And here comes the attack. When the people were where they needed to be spiritually. When does the devil attack us? When we're not a threat? No. He leaves us alone. Because if we're not approaching or advancing on his territory, why would he bother with us? But when we seek to serve the Lord and strive to put him first, first. Remember, this is the very next verse after we have sinned against the Lord. We have sinned. They had put their heart where it needed to be. And our enemy does the exact same thing. When our hearts are right with the Lord, when we're trying to serve Him, but when we stand opposed to His forces and His kingdom, He takes note. That's when He attacks. Like right after communion. Like right after, on Sunday afternoon, when I say, man, let's go to lunch. Let's go to lunch today. And just, man, it's been a great day, and we've worshipped, and we've had an awesome day. And then the waitress messes up our order. And then on the way home, we have the argument with our spouse. Or our kids yell at, yell at us. Or this past week, this week, three days in, my boss has already chewed me out for something I didn't do. When our hearts are right with the Lord. When we have put him first, the devil says, we'll see. We'll see how sincere you are in that decision. We'll see how serious you are in your desire to put him first. And remember, your battle is not over when you think that you won. Your spiritual battle is over when you cross over into eternity. You'll be in a battle the rest of your life. Uh, David Brainerd said, I have ever found that when I have thought the battle was over and the conquest gained and so let down my watch, the enemy has risen up and done me the greatest injury. When we thought we were done, when we thought we'd won, hey man, this is all good, we can rest. And that's when the devil sneaks in and he attacks us the worst. Uh, that's why Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the trickery of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, because of that, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. We wouldn't know anything about an evil day because everything's always wonderful in our day and age. Uh, In the evil day, and having done all to stand. With every fiber of your being, it will take to stand. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 4. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or physical, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Over and over we see that we are engulfed in a spiritual battle that will last the entirety of our lives. We are in a battle. And we saw that the enemy heard where they were. The people heard that they were coming. But most importantly, the Lord heard their cry. Remember what David said in Psalm 40 verse 1? He said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me and heard my cry. What did the Lord do? He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He's the God who listens to us. He's the one who stays close to us, close enough that we can cry out to him and he can hear us. It says in verse 10, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. Can you imagine as they're standing, worshiping the Lord, as the smoke is going up for this burnt offering, they can see the dust in the distance of all these soldiers getting closer. And what happens? The Lord thundered with a great thunder on the day upon the Philistines and discomfited them. And they were smitten before Israel. Hey, you think about that. They were in the place where they needed to be. They cried out to the Lord. And does it say that they had to fight the battle? No. What did they have to do? They had to cry unto the Lord. You know, it's, it's mind-boggling to me at times when we, and I say we, when we try to fight battles that we were never intended to fight ourselves. The battles that we face on a day-to-day basis, they're not our battles. They're the Lord's battles. And sometimes we need to be reminded to put down our sword and just cry unto the Lord. And ask the Lord to fight in our stead. And that doesn't mean that we get to kind of, all right, Lord, I'm going to sit over here and I'm going to take a nap while you're fighting. No, no, no. We still do the things we know we're to do, but we rely on him to fight our battles. Are we fighting battles that aren't ours to fight? Am I trying to pick a battle with something or someone that God doesn't desire or design me to fight? To fight. We see not only the cries, not only the conditions. Number three, we see the consecration. Look at what they did. They didn't just cry unto the Lord and say, all right, peace, we're going back home. Look at verse 11. And the men of Israel went out to Mizpah and pursued the Philistines. Those people who were still alive after God discomfited them, destroyed the first wave. There were some that were on the run. Isn't it amazing That they could have said, you know what? We'll let them live. We'll show mercy. This is not the time period where 
God was saying, you give them mercy. God was saying, wipe them out. Wipe them all out. Why? Because those people would go home and regroup and come back. And we're going to see that in 10 chapters. They had amassed an army 10 chapters later, two kings later, or a king later. They had amassed an army and had a pretty big giant with them the next time. So we look at this, and what did they do? They pursued them, smote them. And verse 12, Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen, and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Now what did they do? They celebrated. They celebrated. I mean, they had been 20 years following Baal and Ashtaroth, and now they had turned back to the Lord, and God had wrought this great victory. They didn't just, well, you know, I guess that's okay. They celebrated. And Samuel takes this boulder, this stone, and he sets it up as a memorial that God had fought for them. Now, think about the timeline. 20 years before this, they brought in this box This golden box that represented the presence of God. And they said, the box will save us. As long as we have the box, the box will save us. But they substituted the box for the real thing. 20 years later, they said, we don't need a box. We need the real thing. We need the real thing. And they cry unto the Lord. And what does the Lord do? He doesn't send a box. He comes himself and he delivers them. He answers their prayer. Why does Samuel set up a stone for remembrance? Because the Lord helped. The Lord stepped in. They had placed their confidence in their own ability 20 years ago. Not this time. They were convinced that they needed him. And for us today, are we convinced that we need him? Are we convinced Man, hey, before I pay this bill that I don't even know if the money's going to be in the bank when I pay this bill. Before I pay it, Lord, I, I got to have you. You've got to come through. Before I go into this doctor's appointment, God, you got to come through. Before I go into this counseling appointment, God, you got to come through. Before I do whatever it is, God, you've got to come through. John 15, verse 5, remember Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He didn't say that we're the vine and he's the branch. He said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. We're just connected to the vine. We're not the vine. We're the branches. And if we disconnect ourselves from the vine, what happens? We die. We wither. You go out and find a tree branch that's not attached to a tree. It is dead. Because it is no longer connected to the source of life. And for us, we have to stay connected to Him. All of our strength and our ability comes from who we are connected to. See, I can connect to other people. And they might give me temporary strength. But when the hardship comes, I've got to have the source of strength. I can't just have... A little bit of help, man. i got to have somebody who's going to feed me and keep me and sustain me and keep me going. And that is not a friend. That's not a spouse. That's not a job. That's not a church. That's a Savior. He is our source 
of strength. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. 2 Corinthians 12.10, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Uh, Psalm 59, verse 16, you know the verse. But I will sing of thy power. Yea, I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning. For thou hast been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. Oswald Chambers said, God can achieve his purpose either through the absence of human power and resources or abandonment of reliance on them. All through history, God has chosen and used nobodies because their unusual dependence on him made possible the unique display of his power and grace. But then he said this, He chose and used somebodies only when they renounced dependence on their natural abilities and resources. See, God can use anybody, but he will only use anybody when they realize that they need him. That's where the people were. They recognized, man, we can't do this by ourselves. Look at that army. Look how big they are. Look how small we are. I mean, we're, we're just a small group. And they recognized they needed him. And God did a victory. God wrought a victory. And it says, verse 14, And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. For the first time in years they had peace. But what does that lead to? Look at verse 15, the construction. Lastly tonight, the construction. The chapter closes with Samuel beginning a circuit. He was a circuit riding preacher. Literally. right? Uh, Verse 15, And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went from year to year in circuit, there it is, to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah and judge Israel in all those places. Now, we have a second map on the screen. You can kind of see uh, totally where that was. And you see Gibeah at the bottom. You see Ramah. You see Bethel. You see Shiloh where uh, Eli and his family were. You see Mizpah over on the left-hand side. Uh, He would go between these cities once a year. He would visit, he would provide that level of accountability as the leader, the spiritual guidance for the people. And it's a great reminder for us that we have people in our lives to help hold us accountable to the Lord. But who is your accountability? Who holds you accountable to God? Who is it in your life that nudges you, pushes you, compels you, sometimes rebukes you to stay close to the Lord? Who is that? Who has that in your life? David had Nathan. Uh, The people had Samuel. Elijah had Elisha. Who do you have? Samuel stayed in Ramah, right in the middle of the place where they would frequent. But we see what he did in Ramah, and that's what's interesting. Look at verse 17. And his return was to Ramah, for there was his house, and there he judged Israel But what else did he do? And there he built an altar unto the Lord. You know, Samuel wasn't asking the people to do something that he wasn't. He honored the Lord by establishing a place that he could worship him. God raised up Samuel 
so that he could lead the people in personal revival, lead them to a place where God could speak to them, use them. And they didn't need somebody to lead them who was a military strategist, who was a hero, who was this great source of all wisdom of all things. They needed somebody who would point them to the Lord. And that's exactly what each of us need. We need someone who will point us to the Lord. They needed a Samuel. They needed someone who was going to live out righteousness. And every great leader of the Old Testament spent time at an altar consecrating their lives to the Lord. Well, when's the last time that you visited an altar? I'm not talking about steps around a platform. I'm not talking about coming down and kneeling on a bench at a church. I'm talking about when was the last time that you bowed your heart at an altar to the Lord. See, it's not about the place. And the emphasis was never about the place of the altar. The emphasis was always on the purpose of the altar. Why did Samuel build an altar here? So that Samuel could stay close to the Lord. Why do we need to frequent the altar so that we stay close to the Lord? Why do we need to stay close to the Lord so that people can see His presence in our lives? See, it comes full circle. It comes right back to the beginning of the chapter. They needed someone who would point them to Him. And Samuel said, hey, I'm not above them. I need Him too. I've got to be close to them, close to Him. Proverbs 8 verse 17 I love them that love me, and those that seek me early, priority, shall find me. Psalm 119, verse 9 and 10. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto, according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Are you seeking him with your whole heart? When was the last time that you entered into his presence Seeking to be close to Him. When was the last time that you approached His altar and bowed yourself there? The word worship in the Old and New Testament means to bow and to show reverence. When was the last time that you worshipped the Lord? When was the last time that you bowed and showed reverence to Him? We're not talking about a public showing. We're talking about in the privacy of your heart. When was the last time that you bowed to him, came before him? Because the people around you will only see the Lord's presence in your life when you are submissive to him and you worship him. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the challenges that we see in the life of Samuel. Lord, this first leader post-Joshua, post the judges, Lord, this first leader who pointed them to you. He wasn't perfect. He had his own, even in the very next chapter, he had his own problems in his own family. But Lord, he built an altar so that he could attempt to stay close to you. Lord, he worshipped you. He bowed himself. He reverenced you. Lord, help us to bow our hearts to you. Lord, help there to be some semblance of an altar in our own personal lives. 
Lord, maybe not a, a public place, maybe not somewhere at church where we kneel on a regular basis, but Lord, help us at least in private to kneel before you. Maybe not physically, but spiritually. Live in a state of reverence to who you are and what you've done. Lord, we sure do love you and thank you for loving us and give us the opportunity to come before you and worship you. Please help us to take advantage of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're getting ready to go to our